Welcome to Love Unpacked, a podcast based on the book Love Unpacked. I'm your host, Andy Franklin. Join me on a journey to unpack our stories, confront our past, and find our way to unconditional love. Well, fancy meeting you here. I wanted to start off by saying that I apologize for the last episode. For some reason, the recording just didn't come out right, and there's parts where the sound drops. I, I have no idea what happened. I'm still learning as I go, but yeah, hopefully it won't happen again. That would be ideal. So today, 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 we are, we are covering when Derek and I got engaged, which is a fun story, as well as the outrageousness that was me before that happened and after. Honestly, <laughs> I could go on and on about today's topic because it's something I still struggle with. Just like quick side skirting over here. Um, I have not, this is the first year in my entire life, and it's been an entire year now where I haven't tried to diet or change my diet. I haven't been like crazy exercising. I mean, this is literally the first time since uh, I can't remember how long. And it's been a really challenging year for me because I've had to really face my feelings about diet culture and not fall into the trap. But it's also been very freeing. And I realized that just trusting my body and giving it that space has been so beautiful, such a beautiful experience. So this chapter has a special place in my heart because it's something that is just so difficult to deal with. And yet we are always being faced with it as women, especially. So I hope you enjoy And I hope that you can also connect with it and find something within it that just gives you hope if you're struggling right now with your body image. Chapter 9. Body Image. The Pizza Pantry Puzzle. To lose confidence in one's body is to lose confidence in oneself. Simone de Beauvoir. Derek proposed to me on my 23rd birthday. He convinced me we should throw a lavish murder mystery party since my birthday was on a Saturday that year and I was born the day before Halloween. I love birthdays. Capital L love them. Birthdays are special to me because they're a day devoted to telling someone how happy you are that one exists on this planet. I love them, as long as they aren't mine. After my biological father, Kevin, left a week before my seventh birthday, I convinced myself as the dreadful day approached each year that the people I loved would ultimately decide I wasn't worth their time anymore, just like he did. I grew to hate the all-eyes-on-me aspect of a birthday, fearful that more attention would only heighten the level of pain I was sure to experience. I preferred to be the celebrator, not the celebrated. It felt safer to treat my birth like any other day of the week. So I deemed anyone who cared about me during that time like a terrorist to my heart. I made a habit of pushing people away from me the closer it inched to October 30th, convinced they were going to leave me anyway. I figured if they were going to split, I might as well give them a real reason. You know, an excuse other than the one that I was most afraid of that I simply wasn't lovable. 
By this point, Derek had already survived one birthday with me. As you may recall, it involved a confrontation with his statuesque ex that threw me into hot mess Medea mode. I didn't understand why, but he was committed to my brand of crazy and also to this whole let's have a big bash idea. So I reluctantly agreed and let him take care of all the celebratory details. He chose a murder mystery package called Murder of a Millionaire, which was themed around Rick Rochester, a, you guessed it, millionaire who mysteriously died. Rick's dying wish was to have a party thrown in his honor, where the reading of his will would also take place. Apparently, Rick didn't trust people much in his life either, because the guest list included his ex-wife, pool boy, nosy servants, and anyone he thought may try and gain from his death. My friends and family arrived dressed to the nines, in costumes varying from a crisp white chef's jacket to Derek's grandmother donning a sexy maid costume, since we were using her house and amenities for the party. I played the role of Jasmine Rochester, Rick's current wife and now a widow. If you've never participated in a murder mystery party, you're missing out on balls-to-the-walls fun. They're so entertaining and are perfect for spicing up a regular party and pulling people out of their comfort zones. It's like a live-action version of the game Clue, with adult beverages and fun costumes. I'm telling you, try one. They're so fun, and even your people who claim they can't act will find themselves lost within the fourth wall the moment the plot heats up. And it always heats up in a murder mystery party, because about halfway through the game, there's a murder. Dun-dun-dun! Then participants are typically given an envelope with new information about their characters, and whoever was murdered gets reincarnated as someone new who was fashionably late to the deadly bash. That evening, when I opened my post-murder envelope, there wasn't anything about my character inside. Instead, I found detailed instructions from Derek to sneak out of my own party and go on a scavenger hunt throughout his grandparents' generously-sized house to locate my surprise birthday present. Earlier that day, Derek insisted I go and get my nails done with my mom, which is something he'd never done before. I had an inkling he was proposing, but as I sat in the salon chair, I told my mom I was abandoning the thought because I didn't want to get my hopes up and ruin the night he'd so thoughtfully planned for me. But now, I was on a wild goose chase through the house, and a tingly sensation was rippling throughout my entire body. The riddles eventually led me upstairs into his grandparents' room, where their dumbwaiter was. I opened the door and found a folded piece of paper inside. Immediately, I thought, we must be taking a trip somewhere, and that's where he'll propose. But the second my eyes hit the first word, I knew the moment was upon me. Printed in italics was a declaration of love, commitment, and instructions to sneak outside to the gazebo. Tears were already falling as I crept downstairs and made my way to the front of the house, where the gazebo was suddenly illuminated with twinkling lights. Derek stood in the center waiting for me, and as I turned the corner, I noticed he'd propped up a framed photo next to him. It was a picture of me and my grandma Lucy, who died two years prior. I know you wish she could be here for this, and now she is.
He took my hands, got down on one knee, and spoke. I know your birthday has always been a day of pain for you, but I want to change that. I promise to always be your light in the dark. I hope that from this moment on, your birthday is a day of celebration. You are the greatest person I have ever known, and I promise to love you far longer. Will you marry me? I barely let him finish before shouting yes and pulling him up to kiss and embrace. Cheers came from behind, and when I turned around, all of our party guests were lined up holding a plastic pumpkin with a letter carved out spelling, Will You Marry Me? It was everything they claim in the movies and more. A borderline disgusting, beautiful display of not only Derek's love for me, but his demonstrative attention to who I am. Like most newly engaged women, I got straight to work. We decided pretty quickly that an October wedding would best suit us, and everyone told me I needed to push myself into a bridal boutique to get a wedding gown as soon as possible. In turn, my mom, a few of my bridesmaids, and I booked two appointments for me to try on dresses. I said yes to the dress in the first store we went to, and the owner took my measurements and filled out the order form for me to sign. Leading up to my visit, I was advised that wedding dresses run small and to expect mine to be a size or two higher than my normal. So I was stunned when the owner decided my dress would be a size four when my usual size was a six. In fact, I even mentioned it to her, but she insisted she was basing it on my measurements and felt the four was my match. So I trusted the professional and spent the next several months waiting patiently for my dress to debut. When it finally arrived, I was called in to do a fitting. I was beaming with joy as I pulled the dress up and over my thighs, but my enthusiasm left as quickly as it came when I realized I couldn't get the damn garment over my butt. Frustrated and a little emotional, I decided to try the overhead approach. This worked wonders for me in the past when my big booty got in the way, so I pulled the heavy gown above my head and shimmied. I was able to squeeze myself in, but barely. I called my mom in for backup and then walked out on the platform where the mirror was for the owner to lace me up and make her adjustments. It's pretty snug in the butt area, I whispered. She tugged on the dress to get it in the correct position, began lacing, and inquired. Have you gained any weight since your fitting? You know, it's pretty common for brides to start eating salads and exercising more so they fit better in their gowns. I was mortified. I hadn't gained a pound, but my dress barely fit, and now I had this callous woman accusing me of eating too many brownies in my free time and recommending a salad diet and fitness routine. Perhaps a reasonable person would have been able to write this off as the owner making a mistake from the beginning by ordering me a smaller size. Maybe someone more confident would have given her a piece of her mind for insinuating I needed to lose weight. But I wasn't an average person. She was talking to a 23-year-old woman with a long-standing case of body dysmorphia, and she sent me spiraling with her one backhanded comment about salads and exercise. The Mayo Clinic defines body dysmorphic disorder as a mental disorder where one focuses obsessively on their perceived flaws, which can often be non-existent, minor, or undetectable to the outside world. 
In my case, BDD showed up in the form of me seeing my body two times bigger than it was at all times. While I've never been formally diagnosed, my therapist in high school noted my symptoms and suggested I consider additional care for it. But I never did. High school was hard enough after being raped, so I couldn't also admit I developed an eating disorder. My pain threshold was maxed out, and besides, how right could she be? After all, I didn't have the physical appearance of someone with an eating disorder. I wasn't stick thin, I didn't throw up my food, and aren't all teenage girls obsessive about what their bodies look like? Still, being unable to trust your own eyes really screws with your brain, especially when someone casually drops a you should probably lose a few pounds, bomb on you in a store lined wall-to-wall with promises of happily ever after. Happy only for the women who can fit into a size 4, apparently. I started exercising for the first time in my life and calling a piece of fruit a meal. And when no one was watching, I began the vicious cycle of closet eating. One evening, Derek ordered a pizza for dinner, which is my favorite food on the planet. Pizza was crafted from the heavens and delivered piping hot and fresh from the head honcho upstairs himself. I'm sure of it. If it were up to me, pizza would be served at every event for the rest of my life, and I'd fall to my knees in gratitude for its cheesy goodness. However, back then, I still labeled food as good or bad, and pizza fell into the seven sins category. I pinched myself off at two small slices and longingly dreamed of more for the next hour or so until I couldn't take it anymore. Derek had slipped off to the bathroom, and I saw a box of opportunity. I crept into the kitchen and pulled a slice out from the fridge. It felt sexy and dangerous pressing the buttons on the microwave to remelt the cheese, and I was careful not to let the timer reach zero so that the buzzer wouldn't blow my covert operation. I sunk my teeth in and felt an instant rush of satisfaction hit my brain. But just as quickly, panic set in as I heard Derek shuffling around down the hall. He was out of the bathroom, so it'd be mere seconds before he walked in on me in my cheesy adultery, but I couldn't let that happen. He couldn't see me like that. I frantically scanned my surroundings, trying to find a place to hide the evidence. I was running out of time, so I threw the paper plate holding my slice of pizza in the pantry and moved away from the crime scene to conceal my gluttonous crime. Derek walked into the room and didn't miss a beat. Did you get more pizza? In my pursuit for melted cheese, I hadn't considered that microwaving the slice would reintroduce the smell into the air. I looked bashfully at him before shaking my head side to side like a toddler with applesauce stored between their cheeks. But he wasn't buying it. His voice grew loud and excited, like a treasure hunter on a new crusade. Are you hiding it? He began excitedly searching for the slice, opening drawers and cupboards and growing more eager with each glance at my panicked face. I tried to change the subject and direct his gaze toward the living room, but he was on a mission. Then, the moment he locked eyes with the pantry, it was game over for me. He stretched out his arm, opened the door, and gazed upon the open tomb in shock and disbelief. 
There it was, a slice of pepperoni pizza on a flimsy paper plate sitting on a canned beans pedestal. Derek combusted with laughter, and I stood there trying to explain myself, but all I could think of was the bridal boutique owner and her words. You know, it's pretty common for brides to start eating salads and exercising more, so they fit better in their gowns. I cried silent tears in the bathroom that night, pushing my stomach out to make the bloat more dramatic and seething with hatred for my bagel buns. Why were my arms so full? Why were my breasts so small? Why didn't I have enough self-control to fix myself? I honestly hated her. That undisciplined, pizza-smuggling woman staring back at me with her pale skin and big hips. I was so ashamed to be her. To live in her acne-prone skin and shimmy skinny jeans over her stretch-marked kissed thighs. All I had to do was eat kale and get on a treadmill, but I couldn't stop myself from sabotaging it. I didn't deserve to fit into my wedding dress. Who was I trying to claim a seat in the happily ever after section of the room anyway? My ass was too big to fit in those tiny chairs. I took up too much space. I was always taking up way too much space. With habits like this, It should come as no surprise that I didn't lose a single pound before my wedding day. I chopped it up to genetics, but the truth was that for every soggy salad and half-assed hit workout I did, a version of pantry pizza awaited. I'd practically starve myself all day, and by dinner when my body couldn't handle the hunger anymore, I'd cave. Derek would leave the kitchen, and I'd package up leftovers, spooning extra servings of rice into my mouth straight from the pot, or eating warm pasta from the Tupperware I'd just packaged it in neatly. Every morsel of something that wasn't dieting culture-friendly was treated like my last supper. I'd stuff myself until I felt sick, chanting, This is the last time, over and over in my head. Then the shame would boil over and I'd spend the rest of the evening pulling at my non-existent stomach fat. My inner monologue would start her speech about what a failure I was, and the cycle would start all over again in the morning. It was an exhausting way to live. A sad one, too, because there was absolutely nothing wrong with my body. Only my mind. I was exerting myself trying to fit into a gown, when it was my head that needed to drop the weight. It was always my thought patterns with the problem, but I couldn't even see my body and that was on the outside. So how could I fathom what was going on inside? Unpacking body image. I chose this story to talk about my self image, but I honestly had dozens more to pull from the bag. There's no shortage of incidents for me when it comes to this topic. No single event that stands out in my mind as the worst, but rather the collection of them all that shows me the dark hole I was dwelling in for so long. I've pinpointed the start back in middle school, when I had those icy blue metal frames on my face, skunk streaks in my hair, and more fat on my body than any of my friends. Back then, it was fashionable to decorate your school folder with glamour photos of your friends and family, along with pictures of bands and singers you loved. Mine donned magazine clippings of NSYNC 98 Degrees, some mall photos of my girlfriends, 
and some pictures of my family, including one of my older stepsister, Brittany, in her swim team photo that she autographed and gave me. I always wanted an older sister. So when my mom married my stepdad, Carl, who I call dad in real life, but only refer to as stepdad in this book for clarification, and combined our families, I was over the moon to inherit her. Britt didn't share my enthusiasm, but I really can't blame her. She was an only child being thrown into a growing family, and suddenly she had a little shadow following her around the house and copying her every move. She may not have been ready to have someone idolizing her inside the home, but she was undoubtedly used to the attention. My sister was a mix of Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson, with long blonde hair, blue eyes, perfectly sun-kissed skin, and the body every girl dreamed of. I knew my sister was a knockout, but I never felt jealous of her until one day in PE class. We sat in the large auditorium with our belongings gathered, ready for the bell to ring, when one of the popular boys next to me noticed my folder full of pictures. He slapped the picture of Brittany in her royal blue school bathing suit and exclaimed, Who's that? She's fucking hot. For some reason, I took pride in his remarks about my sister. Of course she's hot. She's the prettiest girl I've ever seen, and she's my family. That makes me cool by association, right? That's my sister. She's gorgeous. The boy looked up from the photo, then back at me, as if he were trying to solve a riddle. That's your sister? No way. There's no way. She's way too hot to be related to you. Well, technically she's my stepsister, but he cut me off sharply. Oh, that makes so much sense then. I was gonna say. He didn't have to finish. I hadn't pieced it together before, but when I heard his tone and saw his expression, I knew that I was the ugly stepsister. Before that moment, I was just me. But after, I was something else. When I looked in the mirror, I suddenly cared about my bushy eyebrows and squinty eyes. I noticed that I was the only girl in my group of friends whose thighs rubbed together when they walked. I became acutely aware of my otherness. So despite shedding the baby weight in high school, getting my eyebrows waxed and ditching the glasses, I still saw that awkward little middle schooler sitting in the auditorium, realizing for the first time that other people thought something was wrong with her. With me. This is when I stopped relying on myself to determine my confidence and began looking outward for it. I couldn't trust my eyes to tell me if I was cute or a socially acceptable size or anything because they'd deceived me into thinking there was nothing wrong with me when boys obviously thought otherwise. There was a deep level of mistrust for my own self that I believe led my brain to create a version of me and my body that reflected how shitty and unlovable I felt on the inside. Inside, I was trying to fit these massive lies into a still-developing prefrontal cortex. It was like my brain was a broken-down carnival ride, and suddenly I saw everything through the lens of a funhouse mirror. I was distorted. I'd no idea what I really looked like anymore, and so I became obsessed with trying to understand. I sought outside approval for my appearance all the time. Does this make me look fat? Can I pull this off? 
I really need to go on a diet. To be in my life meant to sign up for a validation committee where you'd be subjected to millions of critical comments about my appearance, but try and maintain composure amid the barrage of body shaming, even if others weighed more than I did. I never considered how I was making others around me feel because I didn't see anything wrong with them like I did with myself. I need to take a moment to explain this illness a little more because I know how it comes off. If this bitch thinks she's fat, then she must think I'm a whale. No, this isn't about you or anybody else. BDD is an obsession with your own appearance, not others. Even then, I never looked at other women and boxed them in like that. There was no size meter determining their worth in my brain. It didn't work on anyone else's body but my own. I could find a million beautiful traits about any woman who crossed my path, but I looked at my own self with utter disgust. I didn't understand how my negative self-talk was affecting me, so I certainly couldn't see how I was impacting the people around me either. I never contemplated the message I was sending a friend who weighed more than me, or even one who just struggled with body issues like me, when I made callous remarks about my appearance. I was entirely tone deaf. Even when I could feel the people around me getting tired of my shit, I couldn't stop. My body felt like the greatest mystery of my life because I had no idea what it really looked like, and I desperately wanted to explore it. In retrospect, I've let my weight, pant size, and ab definition determine my worth for as long as I can remember. I cycled through high school, my 20s, and even the beginning chapter of my 30s, staring, pulling, and prodding every inch of my flesh. Some may lie awake at night thinking of ways to organize or planning for their day or watching porn, but me? I've spent hours combing the internet for before and after photos of other women with similar body types as mine for motivation, or rather, like some sick form of punishment for not being at their level. I've hired personal trainers, drank meal replacement shakes, gone vegan, given up sugar and alcohol and caffeine and comfort and grace and joy. I've dabbled in keto, paleo, clean eating, high fat, low fat, no fat, good fat, and everything in between. I once got so sick from the cabbage soup diet that I had to quit halfway through, but not before losing three pounds in three days eating like a rabbit trapped in a human's body. I've cried over ice cream cravings, sulked over wine not being diet-friendly, and have gotten so sick of sweet potato that I could barely put it in my mouth without wanting to vomit. I've also missed out on life. I've gone out to dinner with friends and refused to eat. Sorry, I'm on a diet. You enjoy it, though. I've ditched opportunities to spend quality time with people because I was too worried about missing a workout. I've sulked in a lovely restaurant for my cousin's baby shower and watched everyone eat delicious-looking sandwiches and salads that I declined because I'd already eaten the food I brought from my home four hours away in my car. I genuinely cringe when I think about that last one. Did I believe a turkey avocado sandwich was going to turn me into an orca? Was I that insecure? That vain? That lost? Yes, I was. Of course, I cloaked it under a different name. This diet isn't vanity or insecurity. 
It's determination and self-restraint. Look how marvelous and healthy I am. That's where the demons lurk and danger lingers. In the look how great this is while slowly dying inside. The check out my bikini bod cheer while sobbing into a container of cookies I'd been sniffing in hopes of tricking my brain that I'd cosmically consumed them. If I couldn't handle social settings without my body issues getting in the way, it should come as no surprise that my marriage suffered from them as well. I couldn't even climb on top of my husband without quickly turning around because I was embarrassed of my body. I'd never had sex with the lights on. Fuck that. If he rubbed his hand across my waist while walking past me in the hallway, I'd freak out like he was going to discover I was smuggling an endangered owl under my clothes or something. All I wanted was to feel confident in my own skin, to feel sexy and desirable, but I was trying to fix the wrong parts of myself. It was like there were two puzzles laid out in front of me, one completed and one in pieces. And instead of working on the incomplete puzzle, I kept ripping the already done one apart and rebuilding, as if the pieces would suddenly fit together differently and form a new picture. Derek would chime in all the time, hoping to help me see there was nothing wrong with my body, trying to get me to work on the other jigsaw. But I brushed him off anxiously. It doesn't matter that you love my body. I need to love it too. Technically, I was right, but I'd never find that love until I made my way to the other puzzle. I didn't need to fix my body. I needed to fix my mind. It was my insides that needed a crash diet, not my outsides. I needed to trim the fat from my brain that was clogging it and leaving me foggy. Nobody ever told me that loving myself would be this hard. And I'm guessing I'm not alone because the diet industry was estimated to be worth $72 billion in 2019, according to Business Wire, and it continues to increase. Let that sink in for a hot second. $72 billion was generated from our combined insecurities, insanities, and desires to be healthier. There's a new juice cleanse, fast, meal replacement shake, pill, wrap, food restriction challenge, and so on, popping up daily. The popular verbiage that sparks people's interest these days is diet masking as a lifestyle change. Let me make something hydrated pee clear here. Nourishing your body with whole food and regular exercise is vital for your mental and physical health. When I see someone take control of their wellness by moving their body and listening to its cues for food and hunger, I do a happy dance. Yay, you! There's nothing wrong with wanting to be healthier or stronger, or even to want to feel more confident on the beach. The issues reflect in the methods we are being fed to try and achieve these goals. We're all so desperate to be an overnight sensation like so-and-so who lost 60 pounds in two weeks that we stop listening to our bodies and, frankly, put them through hell. The industry is setting us up to fail because of course they are. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. If fasting or juicing or eating less than 1,200 calories a day or not eating chocolate ever again or hermit crabbing in our houses for the rest of our lives so we don't have to be tempted by social settings or the world in general were sustainable methods of weight loss, 
then the damn diet industry would go bankrupt overnight. The truth is there's a giant boardroom somewhere filled with lavishly wealthy men and women. I picture them business on the top, Lululemon on the bottom. And all they do is sit around an oval table eating cake with 24 karat gold flakes and laughing maniacally at me, at you, at all of us. Jason's just snagged another 2,400 people with his fast guide to weight loss. And Shelly's new 72-hour detox sold out in 20 minutes. (laughs) With the relapse rate climbing every minute, we're already on track to hit over 80 billion this year. And it's only January! Then everyone cheers, and they get burgers and fries and salads and milkshakes delivered, and everyone gobbles what sounds good to their bodies because they all know the $72 billion secret. Diets are bullshit. They're the OG false prophets of our time, my friends. They promise us big triumphs like a tiny waist, abs, lifted butts, and worthiness. You'll be so worthy once you're thin. Look how worthy you'll be. I've looked good in a bikini and still felt disgusting. I've hit my goal weight and still agonized over my thighs. I've gone over the schematics of my calories in versus calories out that day in my mind while my husband is on top of me trying to connect. I'm here to tell you that true confidence doesn't exist in a pant size. You won't discover it in a meal replacement shake or a dairy-free, gluten-free, nut-free, meat-free, sugar-free air diet. You won't find it in the food you're eating or in the food you're not. Worth cannot be found here in diet land. And if your obsession over your appearance is causing you to miss out on truly connecting with your spouse and even other people in your life, then it's time to start working on the personal piece of the puzzle. Because confidence... True confidence cannot be found in a measurement. And I can promise you that if you don't love you now, you won't love you then either, no matter how good you look in a bikini. Friends, if you're hungry and tired like me, eat and rest. Reevaluate your relationship with food and reacquaint yourself with the living definition of health and wellness. If living doesn't fit into your lifestyle change, then you may want to take the blinders off and really look at what you're doing. Is this sustainable? If I died tomorrow, would I be proud of the way I spent my last day? Or would I regret not meeting up with that friend for lunch or having that glass of wine on the balcony with my husband? Stop looking at life as some marathon you get to jump in and out of as you please. Tomorrow doesn't exist yet. It has yet to be determined. It may come or it may not. So how do you want to live today? Eat the salad that leaves you feeling fresh and just the right amount of full. Go on that walk or do that circuit training that calms your mind and makes you feel healthy. But don't sit in your car crying outside of a Wendy's drive-thru because you want a Frosty but you're trying to be good. Don't fall asleep at your desk because you're on day three of this juice cleanse and you really want to lose five pounds. Don't put your body and your mind through the ringer and call it wellness because it's not. It's a joy killing hell that you'll yo-yo in and out of for the rest of your life while suits and Lululemon eat the cake you're crying over because they know the $72 billion secret.
Diets are bullshit. And once we realize this, once we really understand that our bodies and minds are unique and powerful and worthy of being trusted, then we'll find freedom. Freedom to discover what works for us. Freedom to break away the shackles of restrictive living in the name of health. Freedom to live our lives in true wellness, both mentally and physically. You can get the body you dream of by doing something extreme, sure. But at what cost? Are you willing to keep it up for the rest of your life to maintain those results? And do you truly believe that will bring you the self-love you've been seeking? The other option, of course, is to allow your body to show you where it feels best. To give a big middle finger to the scale and realize that number doesn't define you. And it doesn't determine your worth either. Let those extra few pounds linger if it means you get to participate actively and happily in life. Not giving into the temptation of a quick fix often takes just as much, if not more, effort than going for it. Seeing Jessica, Jimmy, and Jane all lose 10 pounds in a week can be enough to send even the strongest of us straight into the arms of discontent. But I urge you, I urge us, to stop looking outward for our worth and instead dig a little deeper inside. Let's have enough faith in ourselves to go against the grain, to choose to love ourselves exactly where we're at, first and foremost. Say yes to salad. Yes to cake. Yes to balance. Yes to joy. Yes to Taco Tuesdays. Yes to wine nights. Yes to sex with the lights on. Yes to smoothies that make us feel like a goddess. Yes to rest. Yes to exercise. Yes to being on top. Yes to the things that breathe life into us and call us home to our true worth. Your bikini body already exists, but tomorrow doesn't. The vessel your soul resides in wants you to live your best life, however long or short it may be. So throw it a bone, and maybe a cheeseburger too if that's what it wants. We can do hard things, friends. Even if those hard things involve letting go of the expectation that a worthy body should be hard to achieve, may we never go hungry in the name of beauty again. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Unpacked podcast. I'm your host, Andy Franklin, and you can find me on Instagram at Andy M. Franklin and at love underscore unpacked. And if you're interested in purchasing the book, it is sold on Amazon, IndieBound, and Barnes & Noble.